welcome to episode 89 of the Her Story Speaks podcast. I'm your host, Andrea, and it's truly an honor to be able to share this conversation with you today, especially during Pride Month. My guest today is a woman who is passionate about sharing her family's story because she believes our stories are bridges to understanding, compassion, and celebration. Jamie Brisehoff is an award-winning writer, speaker, and advocate with a master's degree in religion from Lutheran Theological Seminary. She's an openly queer woman married to a Lutheran pastor, and together they are parents to three children, including their 14-year-old transgender daughter, Rebecca. Jamie works alongside her daughter, Rebecca, and together they spread a message of hope for LGBTQ people of all ages, and they work to show the world that transgender kids are just like other kids. In this episode, Jamie shares her journey of raising her daughter to be fully herself and all God created her to be. She's honest about the struggles and hardship her family has endured along the way, but ultimately Jamie's message is so hope-filled and inspiring, leading us to expand our ideas of loving and including without boundaries in the boxes of our society. Listen in to Jamie's story. Well, Jamie, we will get started. Welcome to the Her Story Speaks podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, like I told you when we were just chatting, I am just so grateful that you agreed to come on today. Um, It was kind of last minute and I hate to to do that to you, especially during Pride Month where I'm sure your family schedule is a little busier, but I always take off the summer of podcasting. So I've never done shows in honor of Pride Month, but um, I just, I read your article in Parent Magazine and we'll share that link. And I was just like, oh, I would love to talk to that mom because what an example of, of just a fruit of of being such a loving, inclusive, affirming, welcoming family, and just helping your daughter be who she fully is. So I'm grateful to talk to you today to celebrate you, your daughter, and um, just give hope and encouragement to those in the LGBTQ community and allies as well. So thank you, Jamie. Awesome. Thank you for having me. Well, can you give just a little intro about your day-to-day life, where you live, who you are, and then we'll dive into your story. Sure. So um, I live with my family in New Jersey and I am married to a Lutheran pastor. Um, So that kind of informs some of our life. And I have three kiddos. They are 14, 12 and seven. Um, And my oldest daughter is transgender. And um, so that also impacts our life. And then because of that journey, I've kind of stumbled into LGBTQ plus advocacy. And so that's what I do full time. I write and speak and teach about creating safer and more welcoming spaces and a better world for the LGBTQ plus community. I also openly identify as queer myself. um, And so I always like to put that out there as well. Yeah, no, I'm glad you did because that's part of your story that I wanna talk about um, as we move along in the journey and help how your daughter helped you fully become and identify with who you are. So I think that's a really beautiful part of your story too. Um, so yes, like you said, you write and you give seminars, like not seminars, workshops. I encourage folks to go follow you. I've been following you for a couple of years and it was my faith. I shared a little bit with you. My faith is totally switched from being very conservative to being more liberal and inclusive and loving. And I started following you a couple of years ago when I started questioning and everything I had been taught. So I have watched just little bit of your journey unfold on the sidelines and just how well that you have just embraced your daughter and who she is and others in the LGBTQ plus community. So 
again, honored to talk to you today. And I do want to say two things. Okay. I'm still learning. So feel free to correct me if I say any terminology or anything that's not right. Cause that's how we learn. And I'm good with that. So just feel free to tell me that. And the other thing I just want you and listeners to know, I'm not going to play devil's advocate because that's not what we're doing. I, I, Emmy was really good letting me do that for one episode for her. Emmy Kegler, like questioning verses and that, and there's places to go for that, but that's not what we're doing. We're celebrating and we're just looking at the fruit of a, of, of what happens when you are loving and inclusive and affirming. So for listeners that are winning that, that's not what we're doing. Okay. All right. So, so Jamie, I told you, I usually start with people's childhoods and you're welcome to start there, but for the sake of time, I'm just thinking that maybe we should start, I don't know, with your, with Rebecca's, are you okay with that? Yeah, absolutely. I'm curious though, were you raised in a more loving, inclusive family and faith? Yeah, so I was raised um, Lutheran in the denomination that we're in now. So we're a part of the Evangelical Lutheran Church in America. Mm-hmm. Um, and our church is is loving and supportive. We still have work to do. I want to name that out front. Like, um, we still have work to do, but it has also been a really wonderful place to learn and grow. Um Growing up, I don't think I knew a lot about the LGBTQ plus community. It wasn't something that was talked about necessarily. Um, in my family unit, like I know my mom had a good friend that I was actually named after, um, a Jamie that was gay, and they were close friends of my parents around the time I was born. And I knew that it was something that was not a problem, but it didn't, it wasn't in my life a lot, I guess. Right, right. Okay. Fast forward with your faith. Between you and your husband, you have four degrees in theology seminary. So you are very well read and educated on theology and the Bible and all of that. So I think that's important to say. Yep. Yeah. We each have undergrad degrees in religion. And then my spouse has a master's in divinity. He's a pastor and I have a master's in religion actually with a focus in theology for outdoor ministry. I used to work in camping ministry. I saw that. That is really cool. I didn't even know that was an option. I'm like, well, that's- I kind of made it to be honest. It wasn't exactly an option, but- Okay. Gotcha. So, but that just shows that your faith is important. It's important to your life story and your journey and where you're at today. So you get married, you start having kids. Rebecca was your first child, healthy baby. But I am guessing, did you start noticing things with her behavior or likes or interests? I mean, share as much or little of that as you want, because I know at age eight is when you let her fully transition to who, who God made her. So share as much or little of it as you want from your mom perspective of what you saw. Yeah, absolutely. So we, I mean, we went into, she was our first kid. We had no idea what we were doing as most people with the first kids. Um, and she, from the moment she was born, she was the kid that no parenting book could prepare you for. Like she made it very clear we were going to follow her lead or no one was going to sleep again. <laughs> and I think that, that that really served her and us well as she got older um, because we realized that that um, she was the one, not necessarily in charge, but that she had wisdom and she knew what she needed and we were there to support and um, help her. And so from the time she could talk, some of the time she could indicate an interest in anything, she gravitated to typically girly things. She loved all things pink and sparkles. She loved to dress up in my old dance recital costumes and twirl. Um, That was just who she was. And that was okay with us. Um, We always said, and we taught her that colors are for everyone and clothes are for everyone. And you can be any kind of boy you want to be. 
And as she got older, we had to do some teaching and learning along the way with her preschool community and friends and family who were like, why, why does she like this? She's a boy or that kind of thing. And, and that was just our line, you know, colors and toys and clothing are for everyone. And um, she learned from a really early age to advocate for herself when kids at preschool were like, why do you have your nails painted? You're a boy. And she was like, it's just what I like. And that was all well and good. And we thought that was like a big part of our journey. And we were going to raise this gender non-conforming, a word we learned along the way, kid. And um, as she got older, she's always been a sensitive kid. She's really aware of people around her. She's very intuitive. But as she approached five, six, and eventually seven, um, she had anxiety that started to grow. And by seven years old, um, she had some really intense anxiety. She was backing away from activities she'd enjoyed. She was um, getting really upset having to navigate the girl and boy things or when she'd be grouped with boys at school or in activities. That was really distressing to her. And we were trying to figure out, we really just thought it was because it's hard to be in a world that is telling you you should fit in this box. Right. We really right. just thought she was an outside of the box boy and that was okay. Right. Um, but that anxiety grew and eventually depression uh, came along for the ride. And by seven and a half, we had a kid who was um, a danger to herself and others. Mm. Um, and that is something that no one prepares you for. And when you have a seven-year-old who's in such distress and you try to reach out to support people, they don't understand. They say, what does a seven-year-old have to be depressed about? And right. first of all, that's not how depression works at all. Right. But also, if we knew that, we would fix it. Like, we didn't right. know. She was not saying, Mom, I'm a girl. This is what's going on. She didn't have right. that language for it. She was just... Um, intensely uncomfortable in her own skin mm -hmm. and struggling to find herself in the world. Mm -hmm. And that was really, really hard. It's hard. Um, I mean, as a parent to see, I mean, I have both, I have two daughters, both have struggled with anxiety, depression, and that's so, so hard, especially when you feel like, well, nothing awful has happened to them. What can I do to fix? So yeah, especially as a seven-year-old to see that. So I can't imagine, as, I, I can't imagine, I know as a mom how that feels. Yeah, absolutely. So we really, at this point, her gender nonconformity had kind of intensified. She was at this point wearing like pink from head to toe. And we navigated, you know, her first shopping trip when she went to Target and got to pick out clothes in the girls department for the first time as herself, which was really hard for her, actually. She was so excited. Okay. But in that moment, our world is so gendered. It is so set up. And this is for boys and this is for girls. Yes. And she's a bit of a rule follower. And so she wants to meet expectations. Mm -hmm. And so what we saw as we just supported her on that journey and held space for her to, um, to kind of struggle and navigate and figure out where she was going to go, um, every step she took to stepping into who she was, into wearing the clothes she wanted to wear and saying the things she wanted to say and describing herself as she wanted to describe, that, that load kind of lightened. The, the depression and the anxiety lightened. And it was with the support of, I mean, our, our family doctor and with counseling and um, reading everything we could about sensitive kids, about kids with depression and anxiety and gender non-conforming kids that we were able to pull her back from the literal and proverbial window ledge um, from that moment of crisis to give her space. Mm -hmm. And so as the extreme 
um, symptoms of depression and anxiety kind of let up, she was able to step more fully into herself wow. and articulate more who she was. That's powerful. Was that hard for you as a mom to let her, let her to be okay with her dressing in pink or typical girl clothes? Was that hard for you? Or were you just already at the place where, no, this is, this is fine. And I'm, our society is already too heteronormative. I want her to, to explore and be who she is. Yeah, I think the thing that held us, not necessarily held us back, but that we carried with us was that we were okay with her being whoever she was, dressing however she would like, but we knew the world wouldn't be. And so trying to prepare your kid to be themselves, but also not send them into a world that may not be kind, mm -hmm. unprepared. Yes. And so it was always this fine line of saying, you be you, but also kids may say things, adults may say things and navigating that, like wanting to give her a bubble, but they're also <sighs> not being that much of a bubble. Yes. My daughter, who's 12, wanted to get her beautiful blonde hair all shaved, cut off and has for two years. And I'm just like, no, 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 no. Finally, I gave in because she, I was just like, Mary, I'm just afraid of what people are going to think and how they're going to treat you. And she's like, well, why would I want to be friends with people who are going to treat me bad because of my hair is cut short. And I'm like, hmm. <laughs> okay. Because we just yes. want an easy ride for our kids and they're just not going to get it, but we just want it so badly. Exactly. You don't yeah. want extra obstacles. Life is hard That's enough right. that we don't, we want to, you know, remove whatever we can from That's them. right. But I think the flip side, and I know you've seen it and I've seen it in my own daughter, the joy and the level of contentment they have when you do let them be themselves and have that short hair or dress how they want, it outweighs what other people think because Absolutely. that's how they find who they are. Yeah. And as me and you, as older women, we've been always trying to fit, not older, but women that have yes. been raised fitting in boxes and being what society wants. It's like our kids have so much to teach us about not doing that, which we'll get to that part of your story too, because I know that was part of you coming out because- following Rebecca's lead with that. So yeah. you start her let reel myself back in here. <laughs> you let her start dressing how she wants, picking out things. You notice her anxiety and depression start to lift. And so I'll let you take it from there. Kind of the age, like we're looking at, she's probably seven ish years old then. Yeah. So shortly after she turned eight, um, we started to hear that like the intensity of that anxiety and depression was, was gone. We were, um, it was still there lingering, right. but it was not, we weren't in that crisis moment anymore. And so we all had some space. And I think that's when she started to say occasionally things like I'm a girl or, um, spending time with all of her friends were girls. She fit into those, you know, her notebooks at school said girls rule on the back. And I was like, huh, yeah. okay. I mean, how empowering, yeah. <laughs> like, but also <laughs> yeah. just trying to follow and see where that was going to go. Like, I think right. it was sitting in that in-between that was the hardest because by this point we saw enough and heard enough that we'd been reading about transgender kids and gender non-conforming kids. Yeah. And, um, all we could do was give her space. We, the, the language they sometimes use is support, but not encourage. Like we're not pushing her anywhere on this journey. Right. We just have to wait for her to come out and tell us who she is and what right. she wants us to know. Right. And right. so that, um, I remember that year we happened to be homeschooling, which was such a gift. Um, they'd been in a small Montessori school before then, and we took a year off before sending them to the public school. And that was certainly spirit at work because I had never planned to do that. And it just gave her space. 
I remember we used to go to this forest school where like every week we'd meet up with a bunch of kids in the woods and they'd go hiking Mm -hmm. in the morning. And some of the kids were the same every week and sometimes there'd be new kids. And I remember that one week we were in this in-between of Rebecca kind of telling us each day, like, I feel like a girl. I feel like a boy. Well, she actually never said, I feel like a boy. It was usually, I feel like a girl or I'm not sure. Cause it was really about confidence is what we found in the end. Um, And so we went to this forest school and there was a new family there. And the little girl ran up to me and pointed over to Rebecca and was like, Hey, is that your kid? And I said, yeah. She said, Oh, are they a boy or a girl? And they said, um, uh, I, you're going to have to ask them. Mm -hmm. And I just remember feeling like what parent doesn't know if their kid is a boy or a girl. Right. But what was so amazing is like, she just said, okay, ran off, asked Rebecca. I have no idea what Rebecca said that day, but moments later they were walking hand in hand in the woods. Mm. And I love, I mean, I love that, that she asked and said they, and I mean, all of that, it's like, gives me such hope to the kids, next generation of kids. I mean, my 18 year old is teaching me so much and 12 year old as well. So I love that. Yeah. Part of the story. Exactly. Um, So kids totally get it. It was around shortly after she turned eight that um, she learned the word transgender. And that was a big pivotal moment for her. We were actually, so she'd been wearing all girls clothes and we were having a, um, a swimming birthday party for her little brother. And she was like, oh, what am I going to wear? Because it had been since summer since she'd made this transition into all girl clothes. And I was like, oh, what are you going to wear? And so I said, like, well, for today, you're going to wear whatever's in your closet because that's what you have. That's practicality. But then I said, for summer, we can find pink rash guards. We can find pink swim shorts. We can get you a girl's bathing suit. I said with my heart pounding because Mm -hmm. I didn't know how the world would receive that. Um, but I kind of gave her all those options. I said, you know what, let's Google gender non-conforming swimsuit. Mm. Maybe there'll be something. And so we did, there weren't a lot of options. There are much more now, if you Google that, which I am grateful for, Mm -hmm. but in that search, we came across the acronym LGBT. And I said, Oh, do you know what those letters mean? And she said, no. Now, the family we were raising them in the household was always one that said love is love we rejoiced with our very young children when with the marriage equality supreme court decision um we talked about all different kinds of families so she knew the concept of families can look like all sorts of things but she didn't know the acronym and so i went through and explained the l the g the b and when i got to the t this light bulb went off and Mm. she said oh maybe that's what i am and i said oh, maybe that's what you are because this verbalization made it so much more real as we'd been holding space. Yeah. yeah. It was six weeks from the day she learned the word transgender to the day she went out into the world as herself. Mm. Because in that time, that language and knowing there was a community and knowing there were people like her and that being able to see herself in the world was so powerful that it became very obvious. So we were in that time, we worked with a gender therapist. We kind of gut checked ourselves with as many people as we could, because as parents, we were like, are are we doing the right thing? Um, And everyone said, yes, yes, just keep following our lead. And so um, on April 15th, I think of 2015, she went out into the world as herself for the first time. Mm -hmm. And that moment, we were terrified, but it changed everything almost immediately her joy just exploded Mm -hmm. the traces of anxiety and depression were gone 
she was so confident. She was so vibrant. It was like a cloud had been removed from her whole being. Yeah. And I've watched, I mean, even, you know, watching her on the Today Show, just watching videos, like she seems like one of the most joyful, happy children. And I know that's not everybody's story that's transgender, but Mm -hmm. this is your story and Rebecca's story. And it's just amazing to see what your support, just allowing her to be her did for her little body and soul and spirit. So I'm curious though, as a mom, because I think about this, putting myself in your shoes or other moms of transgender children, is it like a bit of a death to lose that child? Is that a struggle? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I think, like you said, every story is unique, both uh, as trans people and as families and parents of trans people. Um, For me personally, I think we had gone through such a dark period that to see her lit up, like I had already lost the kid I thought I had in that depression and anxiety. And so to see her filled with joy was just utter relief. No, eventually, I will say, like, as she got older, we eventually took down all the pictures of her before her transition. And when we decorate the Christmas tree and we open up the boxes and find all the ones with her birth name on it, like, those have some feels. Like, I definitely, um, mostly I think I grieve that she spent eight years of her life without Mm -hmm. us knowing who she was. Yeah. My husband, I think, had a little bit more grief at the time. Because as she was going through that depression and anxiety, she just, he just kept saying, I want my kid back. I want my, you know, birth name of her back. And so when it became clear that that in that way was never coming back, there was some grieving to be had, but none of it for us was ever a question of whether this is who she is and who she was meant to be. Right. And I, what I'm hearing you say, and this is a takeaway for parents of supporting children that are feeling just maybe non-gender conforming, maybe feeling transgender, they don't know, using the right pronouns, letting them dress how they want. And I had never thought about that, but perhaps getting, putting those baby pictures aside. Um, I think that's a really good point. And then you did change, legally change Rebecca's name too. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We did that about a year after she transitioned when we knew the name was going to stick and we knew that, that this was all, <laughs> because that was, yeah. that was some of the, the comfort in her socially transitioning. Cause it's yeah. just a social transition at that age. She changed right. her name and her pronouns. That was it. Right. She was already dressing as the girl she knew she was, right. um, was that we could change it back whenever we wanted. And so That's like right. that gave us the freedom as parents to say, yes, let's see what this does. And then it was very clear, this is who she is. And so a year later we went through the court system and legally changed her name, um, which was really, really powerful and exciting for her yeah. to see that yeah. on that document, that this is who I am. Yeah. And another powerful that I want to weave into this, we talked a little bit about your faith, but that's what really caught my eye with the parent our parenting parents article that you and Rebecca wrote together. It talked about your faith and having being transgender, a part of the LGBTQ plus community and coming from the Bible Belt, conservative Christian background. I know that that is like, they can't go together. I mean, that's just a given in some very conservative Christian circles. I would love for you to just share a little bit about that, not like backing up scripture or anything, but just Mm -hmm. affirming to people that yes, you can raise 
transgender children in a very loving Christian home. So yeah, just share a little bit of your heart on that one. So I think that so often, and we we wrote about this in that article, um, you hear the phrase, God doesn't make mistakes as this this thing to say, you know, you are what you are. And um, it was a couple of, shortly after she transitioned and she was actually really distressed. She was upset that everybody was having to go out of their way to love and support her. Like she felt guilty about all of the support and, and, um, and, and just affirmation she was getting. And she was like, why, why am I like this? Did God make a mistake? Yeah. And, and in that moment, I told her absolutely not. And this is what I truly believe. God made her to be exactly who she is. And we saw that in a couple of ways. We saw that as she stepped into the fullness of her identity, we saw more of her. We saw her spirit. We saw her step into herself as a called and claimed child of God. Mm -hmm. Um, Just from living and witnessing it, there is no question in my heart, in my mind, in any part of me, that this is who God made her to be. That's what it looks like to be who God made you to be. I want to feel right. like she does in being who God made me to be. Right. And then from a, from a theological standpoint, um, God created us all in God's image, That's each right. and every one of us. And that is so much bigger than the boxes we all want to shove God into. I think that's one of the biggest parts is that we say, well, God did all of these things, but we're deciding it. God is so much bigger than all of that. And you go to like the creation story and there's wonderful and beautiful writings about this from theologians like Austin Hartke, yes. um, that God made day and night. God also made sunrise and sunset and everything yeah. in between. And God made the land separated the land and the waters, but we have beaches and marshes yeah. and shorelines that are some of our most sacred places where yeah. I know I feel God so strongly. Mm -hmm. And so when we look at God creating male and female, why would we not also see that there is a rich beauty and diversity possible in that as well? Yes. I heard Austin speak in person at Evolving Faith a couple of years ago and talk about that. And that was just like a light bulb moment for me. Oh my gosh. Yes. We have put this black and white of God's creation and there's so much more beauty in the in-between that we just don't embrace fully. And like you said, Rebecca is, I mean, she is an example of what we're all striving for of being fully who God wants us to be. I know one thing you said in that article, well, two things that struck me when Rebecca's quoted, she said, my family gets hate mail in the name of Jesus. And that's just heartbreaking. And that is what I want. And you two Christians to understand that it is just how damaging that is to the LGBTQ community, the image of God to think in Jesus name, we're hating people because of that or love the sin, hate the sinner. Like it's just so damaging. And for Rebecca to see that at a young age, I mean, that's I'm sure been a heartbreaking part of this journey for her eyes to be opened. But then something that you said is that you don't have to choose between your faith and your identity, but you may have to choose between the church you belong to and the people you love. Yeah. So did you, did you have to do that in your journey? Did your family? So we were prepared to, um, yeah. I think when Rebecca transitioned, my spouse was a pastor of a small, um, Lutheran congregation in a rural conservative part of New Jersey. And so while we knew in our denomination, there was space for the celebration and affirmation of LGBTQ people, mm 
Um, there's also space for a lot of individuality from congregations. And we didn't know how it was going to go in our congregation. And so we did a couple things. First, we knew if this didn't go well, we were leaving. We would leave our home. We would leave our church community. My spouse would leave his job and we would have to go somewhere else. There was no question in our mind that that was, that was what we were going to explore. And we, I mean, we talked to our bishop with, for our structure so that they would be prepared if we needed to move calls, if we needed to find a new church community, because that was a very real possibility. Right. The other thing we did is that as um, we introduced Rebecca to church, um, we first of all didn't make some big grand announcement because I think sometimes that invites visceral reactions that right. don't give people space to process. And so we um, told our church leadership, our church council, and then we kind of put the rumor mill to work for us. We said, listen, <laughs> go ahead, go share this, please go yeah. have conversations, personal conversations that where people can ask questions and know that we are available for questions to answer whatever you need. But here are three rules. You must use Rebecca's name, Rebecca, and the appropriate pronouns. Yeah. You can ask us any question you want, but you may not ask them in front of her mm. ever. And basically we just put this bubble around her so that all she felt was love and celebration mm. and people that had questions could do that. Like we weren't saying you have to be okay with this. You don't right. at all come and talk to us and we will talk to you. We will share our story. We will give resources. We can refer you to other folks, whatever you need, but we needed to protect the, put this protective bubble around her. Mm -hmm. And my favorite story of the first Sunday, she showed up at church as herself. Um, a man came up to my husband and he was kind of ultra masculine and very outspoken. And if there was going to be someone who was going to be an outspoken issue, I was like, he might be the one. <laughs> and after service, he went up to my husband and said, listen, I don't understand this whole transgender thing. I just don't. But she used to hide behind you and refuse to say hi to me on a Sunday morning. And today she ran up to me, twirled in her dress and gave me a high five. What more is there to know? Wow. wow. And that has been the place where we've done all of our work from. That is how we've um, kind of gone forth into the world from her school, our faith communities, our larger families, and then just circles out and out mm -hmm. from there with bigger reach to say that knowing Rebecca is a pivotal point to change hearts and minds, to see yes. a child so full of life and joy and, and standing in her own identity and her own power is a beautiful thing that makes you look at things differently. That's right. And that's, again, the power of stories and relationships, because otherwise we're thinking transgender. Like, I think maybe that's when I started following you and Rebecca. So that photo that Rebecca held is that I'm that scary transgender person that they warned you about. That's yeah. what I think too many people have in their mind. And that's what we don't know, we fear. And not yeah. knowing stories like yours and, and your daughters and so many others, we think it's this just awful thing to fear and it's not. And we have to put ourselves out there to know people and know stories and show the love that Jesus wants us to show. Yes. I love the Brene Brown writes in her book, Braving the Wilderness. It's hard to hate close book. up. So move in. Yes. And that is it. 
It is hard yes. to hate close up. It's really yes. easy to hate when you see a headline that has been yeah. written to confuse you and to, to make you outraged, but it's yeah. really hard to hate when we get close up to people. And that goes for everyone that goes with people that don't, it's not just, you know, for the trans people, it's for the people that don't understand trans people. You know, right. we have to enter into relationships That's with right. people that are different than us in order to understand and love better. That's right. And one last question comment about the church that I think is powerful and people need, need to hear, because I know there are people that are like, well, I'm in the place of my journey. I am affirming, but my church isn't. But I read, you wrote, you cannot support non-affirming churches and be an ally to the LBT, LGBTQ plus community. And I think that's powerful, but I think it's true. Um, yeah. Do you care to talk on that for just a minute? Yeah, I, I get a lot of pushback when I say that. I don't push, I'm not pushing back <laughs> no, at all. No. I'm like, amen. <laughs> yes. No, but I think other people, I think we want to think like, well, no, I love people. Right. I am a good person. So often right. that's how we couch things. If Absolutely. someone is telling us we're doing something wrong or that we're doing harm, but no, I'm a good person. And that's of right. course, I'm not saying you're not a good person, but non-affirming churches and the Christian church as a whole continues to do the most powerful harm mm -hmm. to the LGBTQ community personally and politically. Yes. And so we talk about, I mean, you mentioned the hate mail we get. We get hate mail in the name of Jesus. In fact, almost all of our hate mail comes in the name of Jesus. And that's messages and comments. It's letters to my mm -hmm. spouse's church. It's phone calls. It's, um, it's, it's reports of child abuse. Yes. Um, which is a, a whole different conversation. Which we're going to talk about yes. next. We're going <laughs> to yes. touch on that one next. Yes. Okay. But so like between all of that, that's the personal, um, people lose their entire families because of it. Like, you know, transgender kids are on the street because their parents cannot support them because of what their faith says. Yeah. Yeah. And so if we continue to attend, if we continue to give money to, if we continue to be a part of organizations that spread messages that there is something wrong with transgender children, then at some point there's blood on our hands. That's I mean, right. literally this is costing lives. That's and right. then we look at the political and we know, I mean, we just had the most gruesome legislative session um, for LGBTQ people in history and yeah. transgender young people, especially transgender girls were at the heart of that. Yes. And that has cost lives and it is funded by non-affirming Christians. That's what I was going to say. I mean, that's all directly tied to the religious right. And if you are in any way involved, you are, you're, you're with them. I mean, you, if you mm -hmm. are attending a church that's non-affirming, you're with them. And I agree wholeheartedly, but it's taken me a bit to get to that place. And it does take leaving churches. I mean, we, we, we left a church in Oklahoma because of very conservative and found another, but we loved everything about it, but it was not affirming. And yeah. we let, had to leave that too. And now we've moved and we're searching. Now I see you just, you can't, yeah. you are, if you are not, if you're thinking it's just enough for you to be affirming, but not the whole body that you're serving with donating to whatever that's an illusion. Yeah. yeah. And people are watching. Like I can tell you yes. that um, we like, as we navigate the world, when I encounter people, like I Google them, I find out what are they associated with? What organizations mm -hmm. do they work for? Oh, you sing at this church that is like wildly non-affirming. You're not going to be a safe person for my family to be yeah. around. I yes. know that. And so people are watching and looking for those clues. And as people continue to show up those, those 
those settings, those faith communities, it is sending a message that you are okay with it. Right. And that is going to harm people in your life. Right. And affirming, I just want people to under, to be clear what affirming means. Affirming does not mean you can come sit in our pews and give as many and serve, but yeah. So just real quick, tell yeah. us what affirming means. Absolutely. So when I say, I say affirming instead of welcoming, because welcoming used to be the lingo, yes. like all are welcome. And then it became, well, of course all are welcome, you sinner. <laughs> and really um, affirming means that we celebrate that LGBTQ plus people yes. are exactly who God made them to be. They are whole and holy. They, um, we, they are welcome in our leadership. They are welcome to teach Sunday school. They are welcome to work That's in the right. nursery. They That's are right. welcome to serve on councils and we celebrate their marriages. And, That's and, right. and even better, maybe we celebrate their name blessings. You know, right. two years after Rebecca transitioned, we had a name blessing at our church where we were able to celebrate her and remember her baptism and celebrate her forever name. That's what an affirming community yeah. looks yeah. like. Yeah. And I think even farther, like knowing that they are needed, the LGBTQ community makes a congregation, I think, more beautiful and more representative of God. I mean, I know not everybody's there, but that is where I'm, yes, that is fully, fully, I think, affirming and quote, welcoming. The body of Christ is more fully present when all kinds of people are there. Let's move in um, because you brought up the laws, child abuse reporting, I mean, sports, all of that that's going on right now. And I know you wrote a blog post about a really hard moment because you all were reported for child abuse and the state showed up and questioned your daughter. And that is, it's heart wrenching to read, but it's needed. You need to tell because that is, that's the harm that's being done to families. And I think it, is it like 30 states that are trying to pass 30 plus states maybe have tried to pass laws saying classifying it as child abuse for parents that you can articulate this better than me. Absolutely. So this legislative session saw bills across the country um, doing all sorts of levels of things from banning affirming health care for transgender young people um, to declaring any medical provider who would provide that care as a child abuser and um, would be make them criminally responsible and um, making parents who support their children criminally responsible um, and really declaring that they are child abusers. And the policies, even before those laws, the policies vary greatly from state to state. And so we're in New Jersey and we are really lucky to live in a state that has excellent anti-discrimination laws, that has good education um, in our division of child protection and permanency and um, has done a lot of work. We still have work to do as was our experience when they showed up at our door, but we are in kind of the most privileged place we could be. And that's, that's the definition of Rebecca's life. Rebecca's yeah. entire life, she's had supportive parents, she's had a supportive community. We have dealt with any place, like she's had a supportive school. We have made sure that she's had access to all of that. Right. right. And she's a white gender conforming at this point kid. Right. So I do want to name the immense privilege in being Rebecca. Um, But so those laws are very real. And even before this legislative session, um, it was a common tool of the far right or those who believe that transgender kids should not be supported and accepted um, to call us child abusers and often to make reports. And there are families that have lost their children because of these. Um, In fact, when Rebecca transitioned, one of the first things we were told was to create a safe folder. 
And this was a folder of documents that included a letter from her counselor, um, letter from her doctor, report cards, things from the school that said she was in good care, references, letters from faith leaders, and then examples of her gender nonconformity over the years and any self-portraits, all things like this, mm -hmm. in order to defend ourselves if we were ever accused of forcing her to be a girl. Mm. And when we were initially told this, I was like, what? Like, are you serious? I don't, right. I don't think that's going to be a problem. Maybe that was a couple of years ago. Maybe that was right. like, that used to happen, but it can't right. happen now. Not in New Jersey, but I scrambled. I pulled some documents together. I didn't do a lot of work, but I was like, this is good. And then, um, we became very public in our advocacy because, because we have a lot of privilege, because Rebecca has the privilege she does and we have the resources we do. And because of our position as a family of faith, yeah. it was really important for us to, um, to speak out and speak publicly. And so it was after one of our more public things went out that, I mean, every single post I would post would just get child abuser. You should be locked up. You should have your children taken away. And that's, not even mentioning the violent ones, like not even the ones that we should be killed or that, you know, all of those things that I'm not even going to get into because I don't want people to have to listen to. But it was out there and we kind of just thought, yeah, people say it, people say it. And then one day Rebecca was in a show. I had gone to the performance and my husband had stayed home with our youngest and I got home and my husband was outside waiting for me and did not look okay. And I said, what, what's up? And he's like, they were here. And I said, who? God. He said, DCPNP, which is the Division of Child and Protection, Protection and Permanency in New Jersey. And I was like, oh. And mm -hmm. um, they showed up at our door. Um, Rebecca wasn't home. They wanted to talk to them or talk to her. They wanted to check on her other children. They said that the report had been made that she was, they said that she was eight, that she was taking hormones. It was all sorts of facts were off. She was two years, she was 10 at the time. She wasn't taking any medication. Like she hadn't, hadn't had any type of medical transition mm -hmm. at that time. Um, so all of this information wasn't quite right. They used her dead name, um, which is the name she was given at birth that we don't use anymore. Um, and so my husband was like, you can come back. They gave cards. He took pictures. He, he kind of at least knew some of the things to do because he knew we were in a really vulnerable place, even though we have these protections in New Jersey. Yeah. And um, it was terrifying. Yeah. It doesn't matter yeah. how much you know that you're doing the right thing. It doesn't how much you know that there are laws or that there are people who know you're doing the right thing, that there are doctors and all of this, when they, the state is at your door saying we have received allegate, like allegations that you're abusing your child. It's terrifying. Yeah. yeah. Because the threat is very real of taking your child away from you. Mm -hmm. And in some States, if legislation gets passed, that, that could happen. I mean, Texas is yeah. absurd right now. So Yes, I'm sure it was terrifying. And one thing you said, well, you can share, they asked what, when they asked Rebecca, what if she was really a girl? I mean, how damaging that was. Yeah, yeah, no, so yeah, they, they, we weren't home then, so they sent someone back, and, and between the time when they showed up to when they came back, I scrambled to get our full safe folder together, and so I'm calling <laughs> doctors, I'm calling our bishop, I'm <laughs> begging people to write letters, and I compiled it all, and, um, and the people were very nice, like, don't get me wrong, I'm not knocking um, the workers who are doing what they 
have to do. They did need some more education. They didn't understand enough about transgender children at that moment. Um, the, the person who came back, you know, we showed all our documentation. They wanted to interview the kids. Um, they wanted to interview them without parents present. Rebecca said, no, Rebecca did not feel safe. Rebecca's right. I'm, I'm 10 years old. My yes. parents are, are my sole protection in the world. Yeah. No. And, and they were okay with that. And, um, and Rebecca talked and, and answered questions, but yeah, it was, are, are you a girl? Like, is this who, are, are you sure? And that idea that she had to explain to the state that this is who she is in order to clear us of abuse allegations was so terrifying um, and so, so problematic, so yeah. problematic. And so since then, I mean, I had the opportunity, I knew folks that worked in and around um, the Division of Children's and Families in New Jersey, and I was able to go and do trainings for our counties. Um, unit and and kind of share the experience of what it was like to have you show up yeah. at our door yeah. and to teach them more about um, about trans kids and what to expect and what is appropriate medical care and what are the standards right. and all of these things. Right. But then they had to come back. We got reported again because the thing is, once people know that it works, and in fact, the next call we got didn't go to the county. They specifically went through the state because the county knew us already and would say, we've investigated this family. We don't have to go right, back. Right. They went through the state hotline, which was then referred. And the county tried to say, we know them. We don't need to check this out. We know it's not true. And they were like, but the call had allegated, they, they know what to say. It was the accusations were that we had like dismembered her, that we had removed her genitalia. And because it was a physical abuse allegation, they had to come out again. And like, they came out and they were like, we're so sorry, we know, but we have to be here and we have mm. to go through all these steps. And I'm so grateful that that was our experience. Most parents are not right. getting apologetic right. CPS right. workers. Right. But like, it's again. still so damaging. I mean, yes, yeah. you had the best, quote, best case scenario, exactly. but the damage that that did. I mean, yeah. I was just reading through your the blog when you wrote on this, it said my 10-year-old had to had to defend her identity to the state. Every single time we ask transgender people to prove, authenticate and demonstrate that they are trans enough, that they are girl boy enough, it's deeply painful and damaging. This is why I spend every, this is what I spend every day fighting against. And that fight brought them into my home. But I think that point is just so needs to be taken really to heart that questioning any transgender about what sex they are is so damaging and hurtful. And the other thing, the idea that medical care for transgender children is abusive or that children shouldn't be allowed to transition until they're 18 is life-threatening to our children. Yes, life-threatening. I mean, the, and the data shows this. The data yes. shows this. Um, there's yeah. wonderful data coming out of the Trans Youth Project, um, and they're doing the first longitudinal study following trans youth over time. And so Rebecca has been a part of that study since she was nine and they will continue to follow her. But what we see is that we all know, we hear it in the headlines, transgender people have extremely high rates of anxiety and depression, right? This is not because there's something wrong with them, right? This is not because they are broken inherently. This is because of the world they're forced to navigate because the data shows that when we support and affirm transgender young people, their anxiety and depression rates are comparable to that of their cisgender, so meaning not transgender, wow. sibling and peers. It's amazing. 
Amazing. Like just affirmation. Yeah. And then medically, I mean, I, I think it's important to be said, especially with all these bills, no one is doing sex changes on children. Medical right. care right. doesn't start until puberty and it starts with puberty blockers, which are reversible and buy time right. for the young person to come into themselves. Right. And there are very real and specific guidelines on transgender medical care. No one is having surgery as a child. Um, no one's giving hormones to young children. And, uh, people need not- to educate themselves. They really do. Because yes. if you're just listening to the rhetoric that's out there, especially from the right extreme, right, religious, right, you would be terrified. Like, is this what we're, we're doing to our children? Exactly. Um, but it, it's not, it's not the truth. So you do need to take the time to educate yourself on these things that you just brought up. And then I know and I'm watching the time, but, um, you know, sports is the other big thing and we're not, we could talk for two hours about that, but I want to say, I mean, I just watched the video of Rebecca plays field hockey and is in sports. And one thing that you said, like she wouldn't play sports if she had to go to the team with the gender she was assigned as birth. And I think that's really powerful and needs to be said and heard. Yeah. I mean, and sports have given her this, I've given her what they give all kids. They give them confidence. They give them an outlet. They give them a place where, you know, that you step away from the stress of being a teenager and all of those things. And if she were to be forced to play on a boys team, not only would it be absurd and would all the boys be super uncomfortable, Uh uh (laughs) um, but she just wouldn't play. She would lose that entire part of life and be separated from the school community in a very real way. Yeah. It would be the school community and, and the legislature saying that you're sort of a girl, but not completely, because in this area, you're not allowed to be. Yeah. And the video I watched is beautiful. And I'll, I'll share that on your on the show notes, because I think that really just embraces all that um, just the beauty of her playing on the team that she should be because she's a girl. And so why would she be playing on the boys team? I mean, I think if we're, if we're mixing that up, then we're just totally negating, allowing them to be who God made them to be. Like we're saying, we don't believe you. We don't trust you. You're actually not that. Again, we could talk for two hours about that, but I want to move into the part of your story that really unfolded through your daughter's bravery and being who she is. And yeah, share as much as that you want. I know you wrote a blog post about it called I'm not an ally. And at first I read that, I'm like, <laughs> but it's, it's beautiful how she encouraged you to be fully who you are. So share, share a little bit about that part of your story. Yeah, absolutely. So raising Rebecca has taught me so much, you know, about how to love people, anybody love the person in front of you and not who you thought they were or want them to be and loving yourself and being yourself and the power of being yourself in the world, that by being fully you, you change the world. Mm. And so it was that idea that I think I'd always known I wasn't straight. I'd always known that there, um, that there was this part of me, but it didn't seem relevant to share. So I'm bisexual. That means I'm attracted to people of my own gender and of other genders. Um, I've been in love with my husband since I was 15 years old. And so that has really defined me. I'm in a straight presenting marriage. I, um, I get all of the privilege that comes with that. And so I often thought like, well, there's no need for me to come out. There's no need for me to bring this out there. I, I'm not queer enough to be out. Yeah. I'm, um, yeah. That, that like, was what's really the point? Strong. What's the point? Yeah. I'm married. I don't point? fit and in like, that. I just, I'm not queer enough was really yeah. a strong message yeah. for me. And that like, I needed to save that space for people who live lives that are queer, um, yeah. forward facing, public facing that you can yeah. tell who they are. And yet Rebecca taught me 
that this power of showing up fully as yourselves opens doors for the people around mm -hmm. you. It creates space for everyone when you show up fully as yourself. And so we were at uh, the ELCA youth gathering in Houston, Texas, where Rebecca had spoken to 31,000 high school Lutherans and their adult leaders about being trans and not being a mistake. And that was beautiful and incredible and amazing. And one of the booths there in this interaction center we had was from Reconciling Works, which is an organization for full participation in the Lutheran church for LGBTQ folks. And they had all of the flags, flags I'd never seen before. They had the lesbian flag, the gay flag, the trans flag, the, the regular pride flag. They had an ally flag. They had all of these flags. And Rebecca had said, oh, we've got to go back and get our picture, get my picture with my flags. Oh, and you can take your picture with the ally flag. And I just paused and having just been on stage with her in front of 31,000 people with her declaring her truth and already hearing the impact it had and the space it had made, I thought, how can I say, yes, I'll take a picture with the ally flag. And so instead I said, but I'm not an ally. And she was like, wait, what? Like, I, I've lived with you. We do this work together. Mom. And then she was like, you're married to dad. And then she was like, oh, wait, like her thought process was just going out loud. Like, uh -huh. oh, but you could be bi, you could be pan. You could, I was like, exactly. Mm -hmm. And so I shared it with her and she was like, oh, well then let's go get our pictures with our flags. Mm -hmm. Like, and it's become this thing. Um, yeah. But yeah, I think there's Offering. power in every single one of us stepping into the fullness of our identity and living it out loud, if we choose to. Not right. everyone does, and that's okay. Right. Your identity right. is just as valid if you are not out. And I want every right. single person to know and hear that. Because as there becomes more visibility and more acceptance, there is this pressure I think to be out and to yeah. feel like you're not queer enough if you are not out. And that's not true. Yeah. I yeah. am the same person I was before I came out. Um, I am just a little louder now and I feel a little more free in my own self to right. be who I am. Right. And I think if we're being honest as women, like that is what we're just trying to live who we are created to be, to get out of those boxes that especially women have been put in all of our lives mm -hmm. with the expectations of society and the world. And you said, for me, being queer means rejecting the boxes people want to shove me in, not simply choosing a different box. This is who I am by being open and proud of my identity. I can create space for other people to show up as themselves. And that's so powerful. And the example you sent, like you said, not everybody has to follow that, that example for them, but for you, that is just how you're showing up more fully as yourself. Speaking of allies, I wanted to ask you what, if you could give advice to allies, what, what would you say? Cause I know you're not, a, you're not an ally because you are part of that community, but what advice would you give those that are wanting to be allies or who are, are allies? Mm -hmm. I think first and foremost, listen to stories, get to know mm -hmm. people. They are out there. Um, so many are publicly told in books and media and and media um, and in television now and news articles and maybe in the people around you. Um, don't ask people for their labor or their story unless they're offering it because not everyone wants to give that all the time. But there are stories out there. Get to know the LGBTQ plus community and understand mm -hmm. what it means because. Our, our existence is not a monolith. It's very, every story is different. My experience as a 
um, woman in a straight presenting marriage as a white person, as a cis person is very different from a black trans woman and what she faces in the world. And um, be aware of the legislature going on, get educated, follow organizations like the Human Rights Campaign. Um, The Trevor Project is a great resource. There are so many organizations, but get aware Because what I can tell you is that LGBTQ people go through the world every single day trying to determine if it's safe, if you're safe, if if this is a space that they can be themselves uh, and what they can do to protect themselves and their loved ones. So the other thing is that being visibly an ally matters too. I talk to educators or faith communities all the time. You know, the rainbow flag is is sometimes like feels overdone, but it's the first thing. It's the most universal symbol. I can tell you my kid looks for one in every classroom she goes into. Does this teacher get me? Does this teacher know that it's okay to be who I am? We're looking for signs everywhere. Just get to know us, understand the legislative stuff and be visibly. Okay. You are a very proud mama for many reasons, but another resource that your daughter just helped write was a kid's book about being inclusive. Do you want to share just a little bit about that? Absolutely. So um, a kid's book about being inclusive is a part of a three-part book series with a kid's book about being transgender and a kid's book about being non-binary. These were all written by teens um, who are trans or non-binary. Rebecca co-wrote a kid's book about being inclusive with a, a teen named Ashton Moda. And they are in collaboration with a kid's book about the series that that mm-hmm. is and the Gender Cool Project, who does incredible yes. work um, to really change the narrative uh, around trans kids to focus on who they are instead of what they are. Because okay. being trans is just one tiny part of who Rebecca is. She's so many right. other things and it impacts her and she's proud of it and it's important to her. But that's she's more than that label. Right. And so right. those books are awesome. They are available at a kidsbookabout.com or you can okay. also check them out at gendercool.org slash a kidsbookabout. Okay. And I'll put links to that in the show notes. I'll put links to the Trevor Project. Some of the other things that you mentioned in the blog post, I'll put links. We got we to have a good um, <laughs> show notes because we have a lot of resources for folks. And where can you be found if folks want to connect with you or check out more information on you and Rebecca? Absolutely. So I'm uh, jamiebrizahoff.com is my website and I am on social media and uh, Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Jamie Brizahoff. And Rebecca is uh, all of those places. You can usually find her from my platforms, but yes. she's the real Rebecca on Instagram and on Facebook and Inst- uh, Facebook and Twitter. She's mighty Rebecca. Jamie, I had mentioned to you possibly ending this conversation. I'd love for you to, to a letter that you wrote to your daughter. Tell me about the letter and when you first wrote it, but you read it to her every year. And I just think it would be a beautiful way to end this conversation and celebrate Pride Month as the Pride Mom that you are. So I wrote this letter to Rebecca on the first anniversary of her transition. Um, We call that Rebecca Day in our family, and we try to honor and celebrate it each year. And I wrote this letter to her then, and I continue to read it to her each year on that day. And I'm going to try to do so without crying. Dear daughter, one year ago today, we affirmed your identity with a new name. It was one of the names we considered for you before you were born, when we loved you so, but hadn't yet met you. It was fitting to use it now that we finally do know who you are. A year later, I can't imagine calling you anything else. You are our Rebecca, or Bebe, as your littlest brother calls you. 
I'm in awe of your strength and determination. I've never seen anything more beautiful than watching you be yourself. And I feel so blessed that I get to watch you grow. You're a spirited human and you always have been. We've told you time and time again how as a baby you kept us up all hours of the night refusing to sleep unless you were held, swaddled, rocked, nursed, and bounced in just the right order and the right way. You were born telling us what you needed loudly. People would ask, oh, are they a good baby? Of course, they, didn't, they meant, did you sleep all night long and were you easygoing? The answer to that would have been no, but were you a good baby? Yes, you were. All babies are good, but you were a spirited, intense, joyful, demanding, and affectionate baby, and none of those things have changed. You didn't just make daddy and I parents. You schooled us on what it meant to love a little person with their own big feelings, thoughts, and personality. You showed us we were capable of things we had never imagined or never wanted to imagine, like not sleeping for more than 20 minutes at a time for months on end. You demanded that your voice be heard. You've known that your thoughts, feelings, and ideas mattered just as much as the next person from the start. Your age never mattered. In truly listening to one another and responding as best we can to each other's needs, magic happens. That's what our family is built on, and you taught us that. In the same way you made your voice heard at home, you made your voice heard in the world. You asked questions, you took in information, and you decided what that meant for you. At three, you declared you would be a pink bird for the school play, even if you were supposed to be a seagull. Before you even turned four, you were calmly asserting that colors were for everyone, not just boys or just girls, to the preschoolers at school. In kindergarten, I remember your teaching tell teacher telling me at pickup that you had corrected her when she said your little brother couldn't marry his best friend, a boy. You told her how boys can marry boys and girls can marry girls. Love is love. You've dressed the way you want to dress and liked the things you want to like for your whole life. It's not that people always thought it was okay. Sometimes kids and even adults didn't. Sometimes they parroted whatever they'd been taught about colors or nail polish and gender norms. That hurt. I know it hurt, but you worked it out. There was a very short period of time where your favorite color was anything but pink or purple, but it didn't last long. You've always known who you are and wanted to express yourself on your terms. It hasn't always been easy, but you've handled it with more grace than I could have dreamed. In the months leading up to you becoming Rebecca, you continued in this way. Quiet questions, lots of thinking, careful choices, you felt your way around the possibilities. You wrestled with what was in your heart versus what was in the world in ways that most adults haven't. Like a little caterpillar, you explored, soaking up information and chomping your way towards an understanding of the world. Then you created a cocoon where you digested all these thoughts and sorted your feelings. When you were ready, you emerged as a brilliant butterfly. Your laughter is infectious, your smile lights the world. You make friends everywhere you go, and your teachers tell us they wish they had a whole class of Rebecca's, although we're certain the world couldn't handle that. You have a spark in you that drives you to love and care for people while dreaming big and making change. You are still so very spirited, joyful, determined, and affectionate. Mommy and Daddy love your snuggles, your humor, and we survive your sass. You are still the strong little person you were when you were born, gently but firmly demanding that the world meet you on your terms and teaching mommy and daddy the fullest meaning of unconditional love and grace. 
You know who you are in this world, and we are so incredibly blessed to know and love you. Love, Mama. It's beautiful, Jamie. Thank you so much for, for reading that and just for sharing all of your story today and for your voice and advocacy. And you're such an example of just loving well, loving like Jesus and what we're called to do. So thank you. Thank you.